0: Good evening and welcome to the Champaign city council study session for Tuesday, January 26th, 2021. The first item on our agenda tonight is the CAFER report and city manager, am I turning it over to you or directly to Kay?
1: Um, Your honor, I'd like to just make a couple of brief comments. Um, I'm not going to steal the thunder of our finance staff, but I find that I always want to acknowledge staff's work on the audit and I think to do it after the presentation. So before we turn it over, um, as always, we are very proud of how seriously we take our fiscal responsibilities to the community and the use of our resources and in trying to advance council's goals and priorities. I want to thank our finance staff in particular for all of their hard work in providing leadership I want to thank our audit firm for their work on this and for all of the city staff who have been involved in the administration of funding and in our programming and in supporting the audit, uh, because it really is a group effort. And with that as introduction, I will turn the presentation over to city accountant Carrie Seams.
2: Good evening. Um, I am Carrie Seams, the city accountant, and I'm joined this evening by Jamie Wilkie, who is a partner with the um, and Eamon, our audit firm, as well as Kay Neese, the finance director, um, who will also be available for questions at the conclusion of the presentation. I am happy to report that once again, we um, had a clean audit this year. And with that, I will begin discussing the financial highlights of the Consolidated Annual Financial Report, also known as the CAFR, for fiscal year ended 2020. Um, For those of you following along um, by hard copy, this is the big, thick um, report. Or if you're following along in PDF, um, it begins on page one of your PDF. Um, I will share um, the few pages that I'm going to go over this evening. So um, if you're following along in hard copy on page 18, um, 20, it begins on page 28 of the PDF, you will find um, the management's discussion and analysis, um, or as we call it, the mDNA. and And this is basically the entire 200-plus page document um, condensed into a 16-page easy-to-read summary. And I always say, if there's anything in all of the report that you, that you look at, look at this section. Um, It provides good financial analysis and also just good um, comparative year-over-year information. Um, Next, I will move on to the statement of net position, which begins on page 35 of the hard copy or 45 of your PDF. The statement of net position is very similar to a balance sheet. So it has all of the funds of the city um, combined into one statement it shows all of the city's assets, which include all of our infrastructure, um, investments, and things of that nature, as well as all of our liabilities. So our all of our debt, our pension liabilities, and then the difference between those two numbers is reported as net position. So um, at the end of fiscal year 20, we had total assets of 557.3 million. And scrolling down to the next page, total liabilities of million, resulting in an ending net position of 325 million. And of that 325 million, you'll see that 323 million is invested in capital assets. And this statement provides just a good overall snapshot of the city's finances. Um, Moving along to page 37 of the hard copy or 47 of the PDF, you'll find the statement of activities. And the statement of activities um, is similar to an income statement. Um, it is once again, all of the funds combined of the city and this shows how the net position um, changed. And so um, this, the, the increases and decreases in this statement are typically driven by the performance of our pension plans, which was the case again this year. And so you will see that our net position decreased by a little over 4.8 million. Um, this was primarily due to actuarial changes um, in variances in demographic data related to our pension funds, so things like hiring new employees, um, employees retiring or becoming disabled, um, salary increases due to promotions, all those things happening within the pension funds um, that cause an increase to our pension liability, which decreases our net position. Um, Moving along to page um, 42 of the hard copy or 53 of the PDF, you'll find the statement of revenues, expenditures, and changes in fund balances for our governmental funds. And I wanted to highlight here that in the general fund, we had um, a decrease of a little over $90,000 in fund balance this year. Um, and that was driven mainly by decreases in our, um, sales and income tax revenues because of the COVID-19 pandemic, um, changing consumer spending habits. Um, and then overall governmental fund balances, there was a decrease of, um, a little over $700,000. So, um, within our governmental funds, all of our capital project funds are in here. And so with capital project funds, that's where we, um, um, save money to then you know, spend on capital projects at a later date. Um, and in, in this year's case, we had a planned um, drawdown of some funds in the storm, stormwater management fund um, to pay for land acquisitions in the Garden Hills area um, related to the stormwater drainage improvement product, project. So that brought down um, the governmental um, fund balances a little over 700,000 in total. Um, Next up is the statement of revenues, expenses, and changes in net position for our proprietary funds. And this begins on page 47 of your hard copy or 59 of your PDF. So our proprietary funds are those funds that operate like a business where um, the charges for services are expected to cover costs. And um, overall, our net position um, in those funds decreased by a little over $550,000 this year. Um, Most of that was driven by decreases in the parking fund. So back in March, um, we issued an emergency order to suspend parking enforcement. Um, That included the on-street parking, um, our metered parking, monthly space rentals, um, and all of those caused a decrease in the parking fund revenues, which then led to um, a decrease in the overall net position in the parking fund. Uh, the next thing that I will cover is uh, required supplemental supplementary information related to our pension funds. And mainly what I wanna point out here is um, that at the end of the fiscal year for our police pension fund, you will see that we are funded at 75.46%. And then a few pages over um, our fire pension fund you'll see is funded at 65.97 percent the city always contributes well in excess of what the state's minimum requirements are um, and that causes these um, percentages these funded percentages to be higher and just for comparative purposes um, the downstate average um, is 55.47 percent so we're well in excess of that percentage Um, for both our police and our fire pension fund. Um, Moving along to um, beginning on page 157 of your hard copy or 176 of your PDF, you will find what we call our budget to actual statements. So these statements show um, the original budget and then the final budget and then our actual results by line item. Um, And then there's also a schedule. um, They begin on page 157, but there's a separate schedule for each fund of the city with that information. And then the last section that I will cover in the CAFR uh, begins on page 209 of your hard copy or 236 of the PDF. And this is what we call um, the statistical section. So this is just a good spot for trend information that goes back 10 years. there's financial information in here. So total revenues um, and expenditures, sales and property tax um, totals. There's demographic information. So what is our um, median age, the top 10 employers in the city, the top 10 taxpayers, um, and then also operating statistics. So the number of full-time employees, the number of fire calls we went on, the number of potholes that were, were repaired during the year, just a lot of interesting um, information is included in this section. Um, Next, I will go over the single audit. So the single audit is the audit of our federal grants and whether we are in compliance compliance with federal grant requirements. This is if you're following along in a hard copy, it's one of the smaller bound reports or this begins on page 278 of your PDF. Um, so you will see this year that the total um, federal awards expended was 2942000 which was consistent with the prior year, which was around $2.8 million. Um, and I just want to point out here that this does not include um, the MCOR grant, as that grant is being managed by the state, and we are only reporting here um, the grants that we manage. And then if you look at page 9 of um, the single audit report, you will find... The um, summary of the auditors results and just what I want to point out here is that there were no financial statement audit findings or um, findings or question costs on any of our federal awards. And then the last thing that I will cover this evening before I turn it over to Jamie is the um, management letter. So the management letter once again if you're following along in hard copy it's a separate one of the smaller boundary reports. or if you're following along in the PDF it's on page 291. So the management letter is a letter that we receive every year from the auditors. Um, It's just a summary of information that they would like to convey to council and to management. Um, We received the same two comments this year that we um, received last year. The first of those comments being that um, the actuarial report that's used in the city's audit report um, is different than the one that's used in the police pension fund report. And according to accounting standards, they should be the same. Um, the police pension fund should be using the same actuarial report that the city does. But we have different actuaries um, and we cannot, um, you know, they have declined in the past to, um, to, to do so. And we do not have the authority to direct them to do so, which causes this um, repeat comment each year. And then the second comment um, reports what funds are over budget. So because the city budget is done on a cash basis, and so that means that the expenses are recorded at the time that they're paid. And then for the audit, it's done on an accrual basis, which means that expenses are recorded as the economic transaction occurs. That creates um, timing differences, which can cause for audit purposes, the funds to be over budget. So on a cash basis, everything was within budget, but just on this um, accrual basis for accounting purposes, they were over budget. So the workers' compensation fund was over budget. um, And this is just due to the timing of claims and when we receive them and pay them out. And then the the fire pension fund was over budget. um, And that was just due to higher than anticipated benefit payments um, related to more retirements and disabilities than we were expecting. So with that, I will turn it over to Jamie Wilkie um, and she will discuss the audit opinion and the SAS 114 letter. Go ahead, Jamie.
3: Thank you, Carrie. Good evening. Um, As I know was already indicated uh, by the city manager, this is certainly a team effort to the audit. Um, As you can imagine, every page of this roughly 300 page packet that you have this evening, Um, certainly has to be reviewed uh, internally with the finance team and obviously uh, with us as the audit firm. So I also would like to thank the finance staff, I think, to get through uh, the size audit that the city has within all of the time constraints that we have as far as filing requirements for local governments. Um, And to do that in the middle of a pandemic is certainly um, no easy task. So I want to Certainly thank them for their efforts in preparing for the audit. Uh, We do work with about hundred municipalities on an annual basis, and I will tell you their approach and preparation for the audit is um, absolutely top notch. So certainly I wanna give them a a huge thanks for uh, their efforts in preparing for the audit. Uh, As Carrie indicated, I will cover two items within the document this evening. The first being the independent auditor's report Uh, So each year the city is required under state statute to undertake a financial statement audit. We really have two primary goals as part of that process. Number one is to ensure that the financial statements as presented are in fact materially correct. And number two is to perform an overall assessment of the internal control environment. Uh, So while we're not providing an opinion on the actual internal control environment, Uh, We are required under our standards to assess the overall controls of the city. Uh, Certainly we would be required to report to council this evening any red flags, findings, issues, kind of areas of concern. So uh, the fact that the city has earned what we call an unmodified or clean opinion uh, with no additional findings or concerns related to internal controls uh, is quite frankly the highest level opinion that we can issue. The second document that I will be covering this evening is what we call the SAS 114 letter. This is also an annual letter that is required to be issued to council each year, uh, really covering a variety of topics as we kind of peruse through these few pages. Uh, We would cover items such as any difficulties that we had in performing the audit, any disagreements with management, for example, Um, any other outstanding audit issues or areas of concern. Uh, So as I said, we had a very clean audit process. So this is really the standard language that you will find uh, being issued this evening with really no findings or matters for concern within the language itself. Uh, So again, truly the the highest level opinion and and the highest quality audit process that we can have uh, this evening with the city. Uh, Carrie, I will turn things back over to you. Thank you.
2: So that concludes our presentation. We are happy to answer any questions that you may have at this time.
0: And there, ta- Council Member um,
4: This is maybe directed at, uh, Carrie, or maybe at, uh, Jamie Wilkie. Um, the, uh, I want to, for the benefit of the public, I want to clarify the role of the auditors and the uh, work that you did for us. Um, You're not rendering any judgment on the wisdom of our policy decisions, are you, about how we spend our money or how we gain our income? Jamie?
3: That is correct.
4: You're, You're commenting on the quality of our bookkeeping quality. Of our so I will accept your compliment that our city does a pretty good job. And you said you, you do this work for a hundred or more municipalities.
2: Um,
4: <clears throat> what, are, what are, what does it look like when you're problematic? Like what are your m- most difficult customers
5: mm-hmm. have
4: problems with, with respect to city accounting? Uh, what, what are we doing right? And what, what are the pitfalls that communities that do it poorly fall into?
3: Sure, Um, so a couple of things that really kind of come to the forefront immediately. Um, One, I think the timeliness of reconciling the books, Uh, we certainly find that being an issue in certain communities. Um, So the idea that we need to make sure each month we close the books, we reconcile them to the bank statements, Um, That's a very simple internal control that helps to identify any reporting inconsistencies, things of that nature. Um, The second thing I will tell you is inappropriate segregation of duties. Um, That's a common one we find in in government. Uh, So the idea that somebody, you know, collecting cash, for example, doesn't also have the authority to input that transaction in your financial software and then reconcile the books at the end of the month. So the idea that they could have control over what's being reported with regards to that transaction. So um, just at a high level, those are probably two of the most common deficiencies we see is really that timeliness of, of reconciling and financial reporting to either the council and the board. And then that kind of breakdown in segregation of duties.
4: Well, thank you. That's enlightening. And I appreciate that because um, we have had uh, local issues, not in the city of Champaign, but in our county of uh, some of the horrors that can happen when you don't reconcile the books um, uh, in a timely manner. And of course, we all know the story of Dwight, Illinois, where the, I think um, somebody with uh, abused her authority and stole uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars from the community before it was uh, discovered. But thank you very much. You've answered my questions.
3: Yeah. And just to clarify, I think that might be referencing Dixon. I don't want to put Dwight on.
4: Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I don't want to slam Dwight. It was Dixon. Yes.
3: Thank you.
0: Anyone else have technical questions? Seeing none, if there's anyone in the audience who wishes to address this issue, please raise your hand in the Zoom Um Deputy Mayor Bruno will call on you. Please state your name and city of residence and limit your comments to five minutes or less.
4: I'm going to turn the microphone on for Brian Dunn.
5: Hello, my name is Brian Dunn from Champaign. And I just want to say, you know, as someone who's critical of our police spending, um, I definitely, uh, you know, think that the police pension is something that uh, ethically, morally, and just in terms of good management, something that should be much more transparent um, and something that city and the community has much more control and say over um, because, you know, after this, I still have really no clue what it's about or what's going on with that. And that is very troubling to me. So I just wish that uh, we could do something about that. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Is there anyone else?
4: There is no one else with their hands raised.
0: Any council comment? I see no one. Uh, thank you all for your hard work. We appreciate it. There is no poll associated with this item. So we are on to the next um, study session item, which is the council goals progress report and city manager should i turn it over while you're you've got your camera on so i'm going to turn
1: my camera on so um this evening council we are doing our traditional update on the city council goals um by way of introduction um you know who would have thought when you guys gathered at the beginning of the 2019-21 council term and set your goals that we would have midway through the council term have to completely shift gears in in response to the pandemic. Um, I will say that in reviewing all of our activities, I am proud of the significant work and the progress that staff made towards your council goals despite the pandemic. Um, We're going to walk through some of the highlights of that with you this evening and assure you that we are gonna continue while we are being responsible through the pandemic continue to emphasize the Council goal and key projects of the City Council and keep moving them forward. And and our staff is actually very excited about 2021 being a year that we can get some of these things going more significantly again because we're really energized uh, about these priorities. And so with that, I'm going to turn it over to Deputy City Manager Matt Rushley for the presentation.
6: Thank you, Dorothy. Good evening, mayor and council. Uh, as Dorothy said, I'm here to give you a, a progress report on our uh, council goals for the current term and the key projects um, associated with those goals. I'm going to share my screen. with my presentation Just one moment. Okay. So, as you're aware, um, council adopted uh, its uh, goals uh, and key projects for the current council term back in the autumn of 2019. Um, the city council set four primary goal areas um, and approved 18 key projects associated with those goals. Um, for some background, um, I think we're all aware, but um, at least for the the public certification the council goals do serve um, to, to focus and guide the, the organization's priorities our work agenda and allocation of resources during each council term um, the current council term as Dorothy uh, referenced began much the same as prior terms staff begin uh, work late in late 2019 and early 2020 on these key projects uh, much the same as we as we typically do um, begin work in earnest and then of course in march um, the pandemic arrived and kind of fundamentally shifted our, our um, reality. And so, uh, what that did was fo- focus us to force, um, sorry, force us to focus the bulk of our um, energy and resources um, on our pandemic response and adapt to new ways of doing business. So, there's no doubt that the, the coronavirus arriving in the community uh, had a had a, a major disruptive effect on the organization, but I think the key takeaway here tonight, as Dorothy referenced, is that you know despite all of that, uh, count the, the staff um, and and the organization as a whole has made significant progress um, on most of these council goals that we're going to talk about uh, and the key projects they're under uh, here tonight. So I'm not going to read the vision statement, but as you're aware. Uh, Council also adopted a vision statement that is uh, the same statement that we've had in prior terms. We've kept that that consistent with previous terms. I won't read it to you, but you see it there on the screen. Um, Alongside that vision statement, Council adopted guiding principles um, that sort of provide the framework for the goals. Um, These are very similar concepts to what we've had in the past. Um, Again, I won't read those in the interest of time. But those are included in your report. And the four council goals that I referenced. Um, our city keeps our community safe. Our city expands economic opportunity. Our city builds safe and sustainable infrastructure and our city invests to support its vibrant diverse neighborhoods. Uh, one thing I want to mention before I, I, I get into the key projects is, you'll see the lettering and numbering here. Um, this is done intentionally to key it to how it's ordered in the report but For some reason you want to kind of go back and forth. If you want to check the narratives as we're walking through this, these are the same uh, in the same orders in the report to council. Okay. Under uh, our community, our city keeps our community safe. We have four key projects. I'm not going to read the projects, descriptions to you, but I will talk about some highlights under these uh, key projects. Um, The first is uh, the CU Fresh Start uh, outreach and engagement during the current council term. Um, Throughout the pandemic and during this term, Fresh Start has continued its focus deterrence work to address gun violence in the community, uh, including utilizing new outreach methods like custom notifications and referrals uh, to identify new participants. Uh, Currently CU Fresh Start is providing supports and intensive case management uh, to nine Participants here in the community. Um, the second highlight I'll reference is the uh, the city's leadership uh, facilitation of the community coalition um, and its partner agencies locally. Uh, the city's continued to lead and facilitate the coalition, addressing community violence through st- strategic, timely, and coordinated best practice efforts in a, uh, in coordination with community partners, like CU Trauma and Resilience Initiative, CU TRI. Uh, the community violence Response Task Force, um, CU Public Health, University of Illinois, Rosecrans, and others, including local law enforcement. Coalition has continued to meet regularly during the pandemic um, and has adapted to um, a virtual meeting platform uh, to continue its efforts. Um, uh, an outgrowth or an initiative of the coalition is the Community Violence Response Team, CVRT. Uh, that's a Like I said, an initiative of the coalition that is um, designed to perform outreach to neighborhoods that are impacted by community violence, and it's done so throughout the pandemic. Um, It's hosted regular virtual neighborhood safety forums, and has provided direct services to community members who've experienced crises as a result of community violence. Um, Another highlight is the city's continued uh, commitment to and development of the LIFT program, LIFT-Champaign. As you may recall, prior to the pandemic, developing funding and launching LIFT-Champaign was one of the city's top uh, community priorities. Uh, LIFT is a collaborative effort with Unit 4 and the Regional Planning Commission, and its aim is to support African-American youth and their families by providing wraparound services and the resources necessary to help those individuals achieve personal academic career and interpersonal goals. Um, because of the, dis- of the disruption from the pandemic and the fiscal uncertainty, uh, the project was um, on pause for a few months. But more recently, um, staff and the council have um, have renewed their commitment to the program, and council has done so in a major way by reaffirming its support, uh, approving uh, $250,000 $250, in recurring funding for Lyft um, in the current budget year and moving forward under the next goal area our city expands economic opportunity we have six key projects and I'll talk about some of the highlights from those projects Um, first uh, I'll mention the city's continued implementation and, and staffing of uh, the Champagne Diversity Advancement Program, CDAP. Um, during the current council term, the city has continued to implement and expand uh, CDAP internally. Uh, first, by updating uh, our, our purchasing guidelines and procedures, and, and by adding a new uh, purchasing and compliance specialist position, um, whose role is to promote CDAP and its requirements uh, um, for city purchasing internally in the organization. And that position is expected to be filled within the next two months. Um, Additionally, um, CDAP and EOPO, which is our equal opportunity uh, in purchasing ordinance for development agreements. So uh, in mid 2020, um, an internal team that was comprised of employees from planning, legal finance, ECHO, and CMO um, resumed discussions that we had undertaken back in 2019. Of exploring possible changes to the uh, equal opportunity and purchasing ordinance and the CDAP uh, language in that ordinance to ensure that both apply more clearly to development agreements, uh, agreements with, um, with uh, property developers and, and others. Um, there was some, some um, ambiguity in some areas of um, inherent uh, conflict within the ordinance. Uh, Staff has been working to address those and um, we'll be bringing forward a a discussion of these issues in a study session uh, coming this spring. Um, Additionally, I'll reference the incremental development study session and the groundwork that staff has begun to lay for future work on incremental development. You'll recall back in November of last year, um, the council conducted a study session um, led by planning Uh, Planning and Development Department staff uh, and council provided direction to staff on how to advance this initiative. Staff have since begun constructing an incremental development web page and identifying zoning code provisions that may serve as barriers to incremental development in our neighborhoods. Um, A second study session on this topic is planned for uh, quarter two of the current year. Our third council goal is our city builds safe and sustainable infrastructure, five key projects under this particular goal. Again, I won't read the the key projects, but I will talk about highlights from some of the work under these projects. Uh, First, I'll highlight um, the completion of the Garden Hills um, drainage project, the property acquisitions for that project uh, in late last year. Um, the acquisition of the remaining, the remainder of the 46 total properties for demolition was completed and demolition work will conclude uh, for those properties uh, in quarter two of 2021. Um, Another highlight is the financial analysis completed by uh, public works staff on garden Hills phases two and three uh, that was done in early 2020 and presented to council um, among the, Um, aspects of that analysis uh, were alternatives for for potentially expediting uh, these phases of the Garden Hills Hills drainage uh, project in the future. Um, However, the fiscal impact of the pandemic uh, may require this financial analysis to be revisited and revised once the pandemic ends. Um, Let's see. uh, Our third highlight was the completion of the Boneyard drainage project phase one the construction of that first phase of this three fa- three phase project which is um, physically located between Bradley and Hickory uh, is substantially complete and landscaping work on that phase of the project will conclude this spring uh, phases two and three construction of those those two phases is scheduled for 2022 and 2023 uh, as well as 23 and 24 for phase three Um, Completion of the Neal Street Corridor Plan Implementation Study. Another highlight, uh, this is an an engineering study of the Neal Street Corridor Plan and how to to implement changes that are recommended in that plan. Um, And that that analysis was completed in August of last year. Staff have been subsequently discussing piloting some of these results um, from the engineering analysis that include traffic pattern changes, potentially, but staff have in those discussions discovered that uh, it'll be necessary to consider the recommendations of this Neal Street corridor uh, analysis, along with the analysis that's forthcoming on the the city's bike plan, which will be in 2022. So they'll consider um, any potential traffic impacts, pattern changes alongside the recommendations from the bike plan. Okay, fourth goal is our city invests to support its vibrant diverse neighborhoods. Four key projects under this goal. Highlights include completion of year round emergency shelters. So uh, our our staff, uh, specifically from neighborhood services um, has participated um, heavily in the the, uh, council service providers to the homeless local organization Nonprofit organization, including uh, leadership positions in that organization. Um, additionally, um, city has contributed significant funding to the tune of $120,000 out of our uh, the CB- CDBG funding we received this year for construction, finishing the construction of uh, the year-round emergency shelters. Those were completed in mid-January. Um, there are, there are now two year-round. Uh, emergency shelters, one for men, one for women, that are located at CU at home. So uh, a big, a big win on that council bill in particular. Um, The low income housing tax credit policy uh, in February of last year, council amended its policy on supporting applications for these low income housing tax credits, um, which reduces certain administrative barriers to low income housing in the community. Another highlight is the Path to Home Ownership Program or Bristol Place. Um, at a study session last March, Council directed staff to proceed with a funding model that creates a pathway from rental to home ownership um, with the Housing Authority in the new Bristol Place residences. Um, HUD approved this plan in September of this year, and presently staff are um, working on memorializing an intergovernmental agreement. With the housing authority, um, and hope to implement that plan in 2021. Um, there is a, a leadership change with the housing authority, so there's a little uncertainty as to the time frame for the intergovernmental agreement, but uh, that is uh, forthcoming. Additionally, uh, another highlight under these um, these key projects is the adoption of the 2024 uh, 2020 to 2024 consolidated plan and specifically aspects of that that apply to um, low-income housing efforts. So um, with the plan adopted by Council in June, um, included in that is funding to support um, the administration of tenant-based rental assistance and down payment assistance for low-income homebuyers uh, in the community. Um, Also in the fiscal year 2020-2021 annual action plan, there was $125,000 allocated in CDBG funds for this tenant based rental assistance management um, as well as the installation of high-speed fiber optic internet infrastructure at the Bristol Place um, development. And then finally, um, the city's support of "See You Better Together, uh, an initiative uh, related to food insecurity. Um, this year the city allocated a portion of its pandemic CARES Act funding. Uh, TO THE CU BETTER TOGETHER INITIATIVE TO to REDUCE FOOD INSECURITY AND and ALSO TO THE EARLY CHILDHOOD HOME Home VISITING CONSORTIUM WHICH PROVIDES FOOD, DIAPERS AND OTHER NECESSITIES TO FAMILIES AND SMALL CHILDREN. Uh, STAFF IS NOW PREPARING FOR A MARCH 9TH STUDY SESSION uh, WHERE WE WILL DISCUSS uh, FOOD INSECURITY uh, WITH THE COUNCIL AND GET DIRECTION ON FURTHER IMPLEMENTATION uh, OF THIS this PARTICULAR KEY PROJECT. Before I move on to technical questions, I would also just mention, um, included in your packet, um, as Attachment B, is the annual, not annual, but the um, council accomplishments document that uh, is compiled typically toward the end of each council term. You'll see that there. It includes a lot more details on um, work initiatives, uh, achievements, awards, um, significant. events in each of the city departments. Um, so it's a nice document to leave through and to reflect on all of the good work that the organization um, has accomplished over the last two years. With that, I'll take technical questions.
0: Matt, I'm gonna ask you to stop sharing your screen if you don't mind. I'm on one screen and I can't see everybody. Thank you. No problem. Are there any technical questions? Council Member Foreman.
7: Um, This question is probably for
2: Carrie. I'm not sure if she's on this call, but I wanted to clarify for the Bristol Place home ownership. Is that being explained to the residents as they move in and that is set in
7: stone?
8: Um,
9: As far as moving in as an option in the future, yes, I believe so. Um, They're not at this point until we have the documents finalized. There will still be pieces that they'll have to be made aware of in the future. Obviously, it's not ideal because our... When this was first laid out, the goal was as they moved in that that the program would be up and running and they would sign those. And so we have had a delay, um, but as soon as we have the opportunity, once we have the the intergovernmental agreement between the city and the housing authority, um, we city staff will be assisting in those efforts to carry that message back to the to the tenants and and ensure that they have the opportunity to sign up.
2: And will the home ownership be retroactive to the date of move in, or really from after the intergovernmental agreement?
9: No, it'll be it's it's from the beginning because it's going to be important. It it ties to the the tax credit period. So that's what drives that date. So it it won't be 15 years from let's let's say we don't sign until maybe six months from now. That doesn't start the period. It really should be from the beginning of the program when they initially moved in.
2: And lastly, do we have any concerns about COVID and kind of rent people getting behind and stuff like that impacting their long-term ownership abilities?
9: Well, there, so people that are living in Bristol should be paying based on their income. Um, That's a kind of a separate, as far as like our rental assistance programs, if your income goes down, um, that information should be shared to the housing authority. And then it doesn't necessarily happen right away, but there should be a a look at their income and to see if that should change. Um, And then we are in conversations with different groups that are providing rental assistance on if there, if there is a problem where someone's rent does not get adjusted, um, do they have the ability to apply for programs? And so if someone is in that kind of that odd situation, um, I, I would be happy to hear about those cases to see if we could help facilitate some, some type of assistance. There's lots of different pots of money out there right now, but they all have different rules. So if you're aware of somebody that's in that unusual situation, feel free to send them my way. I know I've been getting on your nerves calling you as it is, Carrie. If anybody calls, I'll let you know, I promise. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: Anyone else have technical questions? Councilmember Member Bricks.
8: On the neighborhood front, we've talked a lot about the wellness plan. And so I see something in here that talks about monitoring neighborhood conditions. But does it start? And I know we were waiting on census info to potentially get started on the neighborhood wellness plan. So does that kind of start and provide sort of baseline data? So then from there, there could be something where you're easily able to monitor neighborhood conditions so that proactive measures can be quickly implemented instead of waiting um, for potential updates with the wellness plan or other things.
10: Yeah, the census data is definitely establishes the baseline uh, for at least for the the demographics going on in various neighborhoods. Uh, we'll also be gathering metrics on other uh, elements in neighborhoods, uh, health, uh, such as infrastructure condition and uh, you know any other issues that are going on, traffic uh, traffic impacts and the like. So. Uh, but that, that has definitely been slowed down by, uh, the time we've spent on pandemic related activities. Uh, we're, we're, we want to set up a database as the start of all this that really drives all the decision-making and, uh, hope to get going on that, uh, later this year.
8: Okay. So there will still be a neighborhood wellness plan.
10: Yeah. I don't know whether we'll call it that exactly, but but the concept is the same It's it's, you know, having metrics whereby we can judge uh, the needs of a given neighborhood and uh, address those needs systematically that, you know, in order to make them healthier than they were before.
8: Okay. And do you think they will just be systematically done or do you think that there will be um, an effort where maybe staff is out in the neighborhoods and actually seeing what's happening and meeting uh, with people to figure out like where they're struggling or where there's issues and things that maybe we just don't commonly know about because we're not in those neighborhoods. Right.
10: Yeah. I mean, the original neighborhood wellness plan started with a a very significant round of public input uh, and finished with another round of public input. Uh, we definitely look forward to the days when we can go back into neighborhoods and actually talk to people and find out what their needs are, and that would certainly be the plan for this.
8: Okay, thank you.
0: Anyone else with technical questions, Councilmember Beck?
1: I was wondering, and maybe this is for Dorothy. When will we? When? When can we expect an update about CU Fresh Start? So we have a study session with an update on the city's community violence initiatives scheduled as the second study session in February. So the update on CU Fresh Start will be incorporated into that study session next month.
0: Okay, thank you. Anyone else? Seeing none, if you're interested in commenting on this item, please raise your hand in the Zoom. Uh, Deputy Mayor Bruno will unmute you. Please state your name, City of Residence and limit your comments to five minutes or less.
4: I'm gonna turn on the microphone for Brian Dunn.
5: So I, my name is Brian Dunn from Champaign. Uh, I moved to this community in 2003 when I was 13. I moved here from Portland, Maine. Uh, Portland was 90 like 98.9% white or something like that when I was living there. And, you know, I've gone through social studies classes and I've learned a lot. And, you know, I was under the impression that things like racial oppression and segregation were a thing of the past. Uh, and then I moved here in 2003 and, you know, I've been shook ever since. My mind was blown. And so I just want to say, as we're talking about goals, um, we, we can't confuse things like equity with charity. And right now we are super far behind in terms of equity in policy and in just the makeup of our community and in how segregated we are. And I think that, you know, a lot of people say, you know, all this focus on Black lives or whatever um, is, you know, demeaning and and, uh, infantilizing and, you know, looking down on the Black community or something like that. But it is not charity to focus on equity and to focus on being actively anti-racist in our policy making for our community's entire existence, we have been actively racist and we cannot shy away from writing explicitly in our policy, in our goals, that we are going to be anti-racist, that we are going to strive for equity and that we are going to help the black community that has been so harmed by the policies of our city. And so that's just something I'd like for everyone Including myself to keep in mind for the future.
0: Thank you. Is there anyone else?
4: I'm going to turn the microphone on for Benjamin Beaupré. Hello, everybody. Can you hear me okay?
0: Yes.
11: All righty. Uh, on this uh, topic, the uh, Investing in diverse neighborhoods part really stood out to me, um, especially with uh, recent events, uh, the continued papering by a local Nazi group, uh, some Yahoo's that have been uh, dropping off literature uh, bags and rocks uh, in diverse neighborhoods, specifically targeting them and the, uh, Open source intelligence on uh, those Yahoo's that go back to uh, uh, them trying to sell explosives, trying buying explosives, uh, cons- conspiracies to get weapons for the various uh, white supremacist groups that uh, they were part of in this state and other states. Uh, it's to invest in. Diverse neighborhoods, the, we, we have to have a sense that these kind of white supremacist threats are taken seriously, um, not just some free speech. This is someone actively trying to let those diverse neighborhoods know they are not welcome. Uh, they are threatening them. And uh, that's not just free speech anymore, it's it's a bit more. Um, When we're looking at the recent events with the Capitol and seeing police and veterans involved, you know, a lot of people don't like to touch the issue of uh, radicalization of police and veterans. But uh, it's something that the FBI has been looking at and it's something that the Department of Homeland Security has been looking at. Uh, if you sit in a VA waiting room right now, they have you know, Fox News on the TV and you can watch veterans getting radicalized in real time waiting for the doc or waiting for your lab results. Uh, they get uh, riling mad and yelling about uh, what they want to do to their political enemies and it, it is getting a little uh, freaky out there. It's not just the extremists who, uh, you know, like these yahoos with their papering that, you know, have full-out Nazi slogans and symbols. Uh, As uh, Madeleine Albright put it, uh, in her introduction to her book on fascism, she dedicated it to the victims of fascism then and now and to all who fight fascism in others and themselves this banality of evil keeps coming up with uh it's not just the overt folks. It's been normalized. It's our mom. It's the guy who'd give you the shirt off his back to save you. It's the cop who says, I can't possibly be racist because, you know, I I saved that black guy last week, but you know what? That cop would also save a dog. It doesn't mean he thinks the dog is equal and we need to come to terms with the fact that we have an extremism problem, a white nationalist problem. A clinic was, there was an attempted firebombing here after a group led by a former police officer firebombed a mosque. We don't have surgical abortion in this town anymore because of white nationalist terrorism. If we don't take this, seriously when you know yahoos with known records of trying to get explosives and trying to be part of white nationalist terror groups is just openly papering our lawns i mean how is that investing in diverse neighborhoods if we're not making sure that our police aren't part of oath keepers or other militia or patriot you know quote unquote patriot movement that are actively engaged in Paramilitary training against the United States government, talking about uh, QAnon conspiracies, wanting to execute their political rivals. This this stuff is out of hand. It's out of control, and you know it's not just the extremists. You know, in that sense of the word, it it's it's our neighbors. It's our dentist. It's we really need to get a, a handle on this disinformation and. Uh, stand up for objective truth, stand up for the vulnerable and lead, do the right thing, lead by example. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Is there anyone else?
4: There no other raised.
0: Okay. Council comments regarding the goals. Okay, seeing none, our poll tonight is directing staff to continue with the implementation of the city council goals and priority projects based upon the current work programs and project descriptions incorporating any input from the study session. Council member Yes. Beck. Yes. Kyles. Yes. Bricks. Yes. Foreman? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Stock? Yes. Gladney? Yes. And I am a yes, you have direction, thank you. The next item on our agenda is general audience participation. Please raise your hand in the Zoom if you wish to be recognized and state your name and city of residence, and please limit your comments to five minutes or less. I'm
4: gonna turn the microphone on for Brian Dunn.
5: Brian Dunn from Champaign. And just as an aside, um, if you guys met me like at work or at the skate park, anywhere, not here, I'm actually like a super positive, welcoming, constructive dude, Um, but I am super disappointed with the city allowing indoor dining, especially on campus the same week that university students are returning to our community. Don't know if you all have seen the group huddled together waiting to get into bars or maskless kids taking shots straight off the tables at cams, but it really feels like we're shooting ourselves in the foot here. Who benefits from this? If we really cared about the hourly wage earners of these establishments, we would have been doing much more this whole time to ensure people cannot be evicted or have their utilities cut off. Do we really value the net worth of Scott Cochran more than we value the lives of the most vulnerable people in our community? If a business is owned by three or more people with lake houses, can we just let it stay closed? If someone like Scott wants to open his fest- festering wounds that he calls bars, make him pay for more testing, mobile testing in our black and brown communities. How about that for equity? And let me just pause for a second and point out that our community is so segregated that I can say, say stuff like that, which is you know still just mind blowing to me. It was a few months ago that I quoted Karen Sims of CU Trauma and Resiliency Initiative, where she said, and I'm going to paraphrase this time, you know, we want to be all about Black Lives Matter. We want to say Black Lives Matter. But then we do these things, open up these establishments, allow the spread of this virus that we know is more lethal to Black people. But then at the same time, we provide all this lip service. Um, But then when it comes to putting any kind of, you know, money towards Black Lives, there's a ton of hesitancy. Hesitancy. There's a ton of what else could we spend this on? There's a ton of, oh, we can't spend it on Black lives in this way because we could be spending it on Black lives in this way, but then nothing happens. Okay, and it's not more deadly to Black people because of genetics or because of the composition of the virus, but it is because of our racist history of racist policy that you are all are perpetuating to this day. It is living evidence of what we are doing, of how we are oppressive. And even though there's a light at the end of the tunnel, we're losing people every month. And our policies are ensuring that more people die. I consider this pandemic a win, not if my finances are intact, not if the investment group I'm a part of sees a good ROI. I consider this pandemic a win if I don't have to bury my parents. And as somebody who's been in and out of the hospital last few weeks, and will be again the next few weeks, this is a win if my fiance doesn't have to bury me. People are dying and can we please act like we value human life? Thank you.
4: Thank you. Turn the microphone on for Benjamin Bopre. Hi, everybody.
11: Uh, it's Benjamin Bopre uh, from Champaign. Uh, just wanted to add on. Uh, I sent an email to y'all uh, with some uh, additional reading, as I called it, uh, since I kind of consider myself the village idiot. I figure I'd uh, refer to some folks that uh, actually know what they're talking about, like uh, J.M. Berger. He wrote a, a good primer textbook on uh, extremism that uh, is uh, helpful for not just understanding extremism in others, but uh, extremism in ourselves. Uh, as, as you know, uh, I'm a pretty uh, right-wing guy and uh, I have to watch out for things like the, uh, zealotry of the, uh, convert. <laughs> so I have to watch myself to make sure I don't go overboard in the other direction, which I'm sure a lot of folks think I have gone way, way, way overboard anyways, but I try. Uh, the other is, uh, Kathleen Ballou, sure. Uh, bring the war home book is, uh, a pressing look at, uh, the movements that brought us to this point, uh, including, uh, people reenacting parts of the uh, Turner Diaries, like uh, Timothy McVeigh, another veteran. Um, the U.S. Capitol attack, uh, there, there was a U.S. Capitol attack in the Turner Diaries as well, and it wasn't uh, to win necessarily. It was uh, to show the multiculturalists there that uh, the white nationalists could hurt them. And it was an inspiration for more attacks later. So we are, there's a history here. There is, uh, the extremists have, you know, a manual that they're following. And these folks that went out to the Capitol might have had their own reasons, but they sent a message, whether they intended to or not, to folks that have been bombing, have been shooting up, have been killing people and threatening people for a long time. And that message was heard loud and clear across the United States. So I highly recommend uh, checking out those reading materials uh, from people who know a heck of a lot more than me and uh, seriously hope that uh, y'all take this seriously because, you know, we don't need any more fire bombings in this town. We don't need any more craziness with the, you know, these right-wing groups wanting to blow stuff up and, you know, kill people just because they're Democrats or liberals, because they think that uh, my my hippy-dippy liberal wife is eating babies or something. It, it it's uh, a little too far, a little too nuts, and we need to get people back into reality. Thank you.
4: Thank you. I turn the microphone on for Justin Michael Hendricks.
7: Can you all hear me? Yes. My name is Justin Michael Hendricks, Parkland College student, creative hidden homeboy, community engineer, Champaign Urbana resident. You're right in candidate for District 3 for the City of Champaign this election season. Be sure to write Justin Michael Hendricks on your ballot February 25th through April 6th. I will start by saying I believe that history and Champaign's housing of black communities is, a, is as home as sliced bread, Jim Crow, U of I, and more ideologies that form these black communities and neighborhoods such as the North End where Bristol Place was placed. Not built, but placed. As I know personally residents that are having housing issues in their homes, I find it disrespectful to have black people to apply for housing and once they're placed in these units have them to seek home ownership. How are we providing a home ownership pathway, yet no tools to maintain a home? Equity is key in the economy, but black and brown communities aren't granted those same loopholes, amenities, or privileges compared to our white counterparts when seeking the same home ownership. The conversation of charity not changed for the city, but charity, which is disheartening because our governmental body doesn't reflect the conversation at the table. Seems like a conversation like the administration had once last, last year. Not too many though. At least not housing that is stacked, packed and sitting on top of each other. And where are we to hear someone say, investing in diverse neighborhoods? It only means monetary. Let's have enhancement in diverse neighborhoods. That means we actually work with those individuals and community leaders that know what is best for their neighborhoods and the concerns that we must have to have the exact change. Angie Brinks, you would know If you were engaged in district three, there were three shootings this week, back to back. And in this area, and Deb, I don't see Daniel Niguez running out of raw fitness anytime soon, rushing to a crime scene. When you wonder why these things aren't happening due to those support, it's because those who sit in our seats are aiding and abetting this lifestyle and livelihood that's only inclusive to them and exclusive to us, which includes those blacks who may say that we are too real to be in this situation, so we now are excluded too. I understand power and privileges. However, I myself refuse to be the only Black or LGBTQ people at the table when having these conversations. I will leave you with this. Vote for Rita Connolly for Township February 23rd. Please make sure you contribute to our three food pantries. We have one downtown. We have one at Bethel AME Church. We have a third one at First Followers on Louisiana Street. And we also have a clothing closet at the IMC. Marshall and myself appreciate the community culture in humanity, not charity. Once again, Justin Michael Hendricks write my name as your candidate for District Three this coming election season. Education, advocacy, and community culture. Have a good night.
12: Thank turn
4: you. turn the microphone for Alan Max Axelrod.
12: Thank you, can you hear me? Yes. All righty, uh, thank you so much. Alan Max Axelrod, uh, City of Urbana. Recently, I put on social media the first public comment that I um, gave to this body. It was on uh, the fact that we did not have a year-round emergency homeless shelter in our community. The irony of a pandemic bringing the resources even temporarily to our community is not lost on me. The person who spoke after me spoke about the drainage issue that's ongoing in Champaign and was talking in 2017 saying 13 years, I don't even know if I'm going to be around 13 years from now. When there's this sort of delay, I believe MLK has a quote about that. Going on to other notes, I wanted to again thank the five uh, Champaign City Council representatives who have so far signed a letter calling for the suspension of evictions in Champaign County and urging the same in our state. The reality is that um, Mayor Deb Vinen, uh, you were courageously on a letter calling for the suspension of utility shutoffs. I would like to invite you to sign this letter, this being your third invitation, because it speaks to the same fundamental safety mechanism during this pandemic. I would find it very curious if you did not. And regarding past conversations, um, we have to remember it wasn't any one of us who's the reason that a lot of mortgage assistance was not provided, a lot of rent assistance was not provided, and a lot of utility assistance was not provided. It was one state senator by the name of Laura M. Murphy who received public payments from Ameren, Illinois two days after utility shutoffs began, and that was the first time that she had received uh, payments from that utility in well over a year while running an uncontested election. I may have some small details wrong in there, but the overall pattern is the same. You can read it on People's Tribune, lone state senator uh, blocks a, it's a lone state, lone Illinois state senator kills rent and utility relief. And so I wanna use my remaining time to talk about the brittleness of power structure because there's been some really fascinatingly desperate actions being done uh, in this community by some people who rely on bullying as a way of maintaining. And the reality is that there's always more people that can be talked to than you can control. And it is that reason why those efforts will always fail. And I hope that the members of this council remember that as well. Have a good evening.
0: Thank you, is there anyone else?
4: There are no other hands raised, Madam Mayor.
0: Council comment. I don't see any council comments. City Manager, do you have anything?
1: I have nothing further, Your Honor.
0: Then I need a motion to adjourn, please.
4: Madam Mayor, I move that we adjourn. Second.
0: Will the clerk please call the roll. Council Member Bricks? Yes.
1: Brenna? Yes. Foreman?
2: Yes. Gladney? Yes. Kyles? Yes. and Fetty? Yes.
7: Stock? Yes.
0: Beck? Yes.
7: Mayor Finan.
0: Yes, we are adjourned. See you next week.